and welcome to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and we're going to be discussing some of the hottest, controversial, and in many cases considered taboo topics. We cover every issue you've ever considered, and several you haven't even thought of, from the unique perspective of a conservative atheist. Enjoy! And welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and today we're going to celebrate Black History Month by going over some of the black inventor, black inventions, and it's going to be called Facts versus Myths. We're going to debunk a lot of of myths. And uh, we actually have a source that has tons of sources in it, and uh, I, I tried to find out this person's identity. I wanted to uh, to possibly interview them, but you know, I, I couldn't find I couldn't find anything out about them. I I clicked on the bi- bibliography. I you know all the information, all the links are there, everything that backs up what their claims, uh, all the specifics. But when I clicked on the email, it went nowhere. So apparently, I'm not going to be able to email that person at least not at this time. Uh, hopefully in the future, because I would love to, absolutely love to interview this person. So black invention myths, and it starts out like this. Perhaps you've heard the claims where not not for the genius and energy of African-American inventors, we might find ourselves in a world without traffic lights, peanut butter, blood banks, light bulb filaments, and a vast number of other things we now take for granted, but could hardly imagine life without. Such beliefs usually originate in books or articles about black history, since many of the authors have little interest in the history of technology outside of advertising black contributions to it. Their stories tend to be fraught with misunderstandings, wishful thinking, or fanciful embellishments with no historical basis. The lack of historical perspective leads to extravagant overestimations of originality and importance. Sometimes a slightly modified version of a pre-existing piece of technology is mistaken for the first invention of its type. Sometimes a patent or innovation with little or no lasting value is portrayed as a major advance, even if there is no real evidence it was ever used. So even in cases where there where the this you know so-called invention was uh, came about and was never used in the future it's touted as as a huge accomplishment very strange and of course they there's a lot of cases where they say this is the the inventor of this when actually there was just a slight modification to an original invention so unfortunately some of the errors and extra- exaggerations have acquired an illusion of credibility by repetition in mainstream outlets especially during Black History Month see examples of the traffic light and ironing board when myths go unchallenged for too long they begin to eclipse the truth thus i decided to put some re- records straight 
Although the page does not cover every dubious invention claim floating around out there, it should at least serve as a warning never to take any such claims for granted. Each item below is listed with its supposed black originator, beneath it along with the year it was supposedly invented, followed by something about the real origin of the invention at at least an earlier instance of it. So this man provides not only uh, the myth itself and who supposedly invented it and when, but who actually invented it and, and uh, when. Okay, so let's begin with the first one. Traffic signal invented by Garrett A. Morgan in 1993. No. The first traffic signal appeared in London in 1868 near the Houses of Parliament, designed by J.P. Knight. It featured two semaphore arms and two gas lamps. The earliest electric light uh, traffic lights included include Lester Wire's two color versions set up by in, in set up in Salt Lake City circa 1912. James Hoag's system U.S. patent and it gives the patent number installed in Cleveland by the American Traffic Signal Company in 1914, and William Potts' four-way red, yellow, green lights introduced in Detroit beginning in 1920. New York City traffic towers began flashing three-color signals also in 1920. Garrett Morgan's cross-shaped uh, crank-operated sophomore was not among the first half-hundred patent traffic signals, nor was it automatic, as is sometimes claimed, nor did it play any part in the evolution of modern traffic light. For detail, see... And it gives the specifics. It gives the links. Okay, number two. Gas mask, also attributed to Garrett Morgan. Garrett Morgan, 1914. No. The invention of the gas mask predates Morgan's breathing device by several decades. Early versions were constructed by the Scottish chemist John Stenhouse in 1854 and the physicist John Tyndall in 1870s, among many other inventors prior to World War I. Uh, and it says, see the invention of the gas mask. Peanut butter. I, I, I've, heard, I've heard this claim so many times in my life. Peanut butter. Supposedly George Washington Carver invented peanut butter. The most ridiculous thing you could ever possibly hear. It's like somebody saying that he invented honey. So ridiculous. Okay, so George Washington Carver, who began his peanut research in 1903. No! Peanuts, which are native to the New World Tropics, were mashed into paste by Aztecs hundreds of years ago. Evans of modern peanut butter comes from U.S. patent, it gives the patent number, issued to Marcellus Gilmore Edison of Montreal, Quebec in 1884 for a process of milling to roasted uh, peanuts between heated surfaces until the peanut peanuts reached a fluid or semi-fluid uh, state. As the product cools, it's set into what Edison, uh, I'm sorry, Edson, described as a consistency like that of butter, lard, or ointment in 1890. 
George A. Bale, Jr., owner of food businesses in St. Louis, manufactured peanut butter and sold it out of barrels. J.H. Kellogg of cereal fame secured U.S. patent, it gives the patent number, in 1897 for his process of preparing uh, nut meal, which produced a pasty ad uh, adhesive substance that Kellogg called nut butter. So I've heard this myth my entire life that James, that uh, I'm sorry, George Washington Carver invented the peanut. I'm sorry, the peanut butter. <laughs> Nobody invented the peanut. Invented peanut butter. It's just not true. It's just not true. It's another myth. I'm sorry, folks, but this is Black History Month. We're celebrating Black History Month. And, and the only way you can truly know Black History is to know the facts from the fiction. And so this is what I'm supplying today. I'm supplying some facts to rebuff the uh, the fiction. Okay, let's go. Let's continue. Another George Washington Carver discovered hundreds of new uh, discovered hundreds of new and important uses for the peanut. Father, the peanut industry revolutionized uh, Southern U.S. agriculture. No. Research by Barry McIntosh, who served as Bureau Historian for the National Park Service, which manages the George W. Carver National Monument, demonstrated the following. The most Carver's peanut and sweet potato creations were either unoriginal, impractical, practical, or of certain effectiveness. Uncertain effectiveness. No product born in his laboratory, was widely adopted. The boom years of, for Southern peanut production came prior to and not as a result of Carver's promotion of the crop. Carver's work to improve regional farming practices was not of, of pioneering uh, scientific importance and had little demonstrable impact. To see how Carver's gained a popular reputation for transcending the significance of his accomplishments, read McIntosh's excellent article. And it gives the article. By the way, folks, I'm going to put the link to this in the description of this podcast. So be aware. All right. Automatic lubricant, real McCoy. This is another myth I've heard my entire life. The real McCoy. And I kind of somewhat bought into it. The real McCoy. So let's see how true the real McCoy is. All right. Let's see. Elijah McCoy revolutionized industry in 1872 by inventing the first device to automatically oil machinery. No. The, the phrase real McCoy arose to distinguish Elijah's invention from cheap imitations. No. Neither one is true. The oil cup, which automatically delivers a steady trickle of lubricant to machine parts while the machine is running, predates McCoy's career. A description of one appears in the May 6, 1848 issue of Scientific American. The automatic displacement lubricator for steam engines, which is developed in 1860 by John Ramsbottom of England and notably improved in 1862 by James Roscoe of the same country. The hydrolastic lubricant originated no later than 1871. Hydrostatic, sorry. 
variants of the of the phrase "real McCoy" appeared in Scottish literature during back in, dating back at least to the 1856, well before Elijah McCoy could have been involved. And it has all the evidence here at the bottom. All right, the blood bank. That's another one I hear constantly. I'm constantly hearing about the blood bank and how if it wasn't for a black inventor that there would be no blood bank and that's how many lives it saved. Dr. Charles Drew in 1940. No. During World War I, Dr. Oswald H. Robertson of the U.S. Army preserved blood in a citric citrate glucose solution and stored it in cooled containers for later transfusion this was the first use of banked blood by the mid 1930s the russians had set up a national network of facilities for the collection typing and storage of blood bernard fantas and influenced by the russian program established the first blood bank in the United States at Chicago's Cook County Hospital in 1937. It was Fantas who coined the term blood bank. And it gives the, it gives the proof of this. It gives the links. All right, so I've, I've heard that so many times, so many times that the blood bank was created by a black inventor and that if it wasn't for him that we would have lost so many lives. And uh, apparently that's just not true. Okay, blood plasma. I've also heard this one many times. Did Charles Drew discover in about 1940 the plasma could be separated and stored apart from the rest of the blood, thereby revolutionizing transfusion medicine? No. The possibility of using blood uh, plasma for transfusion purposes was known at least since 1918, when English physician Gordon R. Ward suggested in a medical journal in the mid-1930s, John Elliott advanced the idea, emphasizing plasma's advantage in shelf life and donor-recipient compatibility. And in 1939, he and two colleagues reported having used stored plasma in 191 transfusions. And it says, see historical notes on plasma use. Charles Drew was not responsible for any breakthrough scientific or medical discovery. His main career and achievement uh, lay in supervising or co-supervising major programs for the collection and shipment of blood and transma. And I'm sorry, plasma. So that's just not true. Not true. Washington D and this is a big one. This is a huge one. I'm constantly hearing this one. Constantly hearing this one from some old fool that calls him his name is Don Folden and he calls himself the truth conductor and he's a a 70-year-old uh, homeless man. He 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 um he's constantly trying to figure out ways to get money without working. Uh he does he supposedly does black DC tours, but there's two black CD DC tour companies. One is successful and the other one is his. And he gets no business whatsoever because I don't think he says it's because they're rejecting black black history. I don't think so. I think they're rejecting him because if if they were rejecting black history, why is the other company doing well? And he and he can't he can't beg somebody to to uh, set up a a tour with him. But anyway, this is one he likes to bring up. Uh, Washington D.C. Oh, hold on a second. Washington D.C. City plan. Benjamin Banneker, no, absolutely not. 
Pierre Charles L. Enfant, uh, probably pronouncing that wrong, created the layout of Washington, D.C. Banneker assisted Andrew Elliott in the survey of the federal territory, but played no direct role in the actual planning of the city. The story of Banneker reconstructing the city be design from memory, either L. Enfant ran away with the plans, with the implications that the project would have failed, if not for Banneker, has been debunked by historians. And it gives the link in the proof. So no, D.C. was not planned out. The architect of, of, the, of the city of D.C. was not, uh, was not Benjamin Banneker. It just wasn't. All right. Here's another one that I love to hear all the time. Filament for light bulb. Louis Latimer invented the, the carbon filament in 1881 or 1882. No, absolutely not. Just not true. English chemist, phys, uh, physicist Joseph Swan experimented with a carbon filament incandescent light all the way back in 1860 and by 1878 had developed a better design which he patented in Britain. On the other side of the Atlantic, Thomas Edison developed a successful carbon filament bulb, receiving a patent for it, and, and it gives the patent number, in January of 1880, before Louis Latimer did any work in electric lighting. From 1880 onward, countless patents were issued for innovations in filament design and manufacture. Edison had over 50 of them. Neither of, Latimer two, neither of Latimer's two filament-related patents in 1881 or in 1882 were among the most important innovations, nor did they make the light bulb last longer. Nor is there any reason, nor is there uh, their reason to believe that they, had, they were adopted outside Hiram's Maxim's company where Latimer worked at the time. He was not hired by Edison's company until 1884, primary as a draftsman and an expert uh, witness on patent litigation. Latimer also did not come up with the first screw socket or the light bulb or the first book on electric lighting. So this is another very, very popular myth that I've constantly heard that Louis Latimer was the one that came up with the filament for the light bulb, and that without him, that we would have had a wouldn't have had a, the quality light bulb we have. It's just not true. It just doesn't hold up to scrutiny. History matters, folks. When people make these things up, it, 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 they they make them up. They make them sound good. Uh, so I'm going to deviate from the from the uh, the fake uh, inventions for a second here and say, I'll give you another good example. So the the, Tus the Tuskegee experiment. The, the you know the notorious Tux, Tuskegee experiment, horrible experiment should have never been done, very wrong. I'm not justifying it in any way whatsoever. There's no no justification for it, that's for sure. But I'm going to tell you right now, the fact is is that they did not give the black men syphilis. What they did do was horrible. What they did do was is they found black men in the military that had syphilis, and instead of giving them proper treatment, they let the syphilis, they gave them placebos, meaning fake treatment. And they waited to see what would happen to them when uh, they got the fake treatment and see how the, the, the disease progressed. It was an experiment. 
horrible thing to do to anybody. Never should have been done. But does that mean that they gave them syphilis? No, they did not give them syphilis. And that's a, that's a really disgusting myth. And this is the problem, is that people will take history and they'll tweak it just a little bit. They'll change, they'll change just a little bit here and there to make it sound worse than what it was. Uh, you know, there, there's also, we're, I'm going to talk about this, um, I'm also going to talk about the uh, supposed Black Wall Street and the massacre at Ta- Black Wall Street. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the parts that people don't talk about. The, the fact is, is that a, a young woman, a young elevator operator was, because back then they had elevator operators, they didn't have automatic elevators, they had people that worked them. And uh, a young black man from another town came over, and he was in the elevator along with the elevator operator girl, and he sexually assaulted her, and he was arrested, and he was busted out of jail by by black men from the other town. And when they went to retrieve him, the sheriff, um, the the black men put up a fight, and and that's what happened. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go into full detail in another episode. All part of Black History Month. Happy Black History Month, everybody. All right, where are we at? Okay, another big one. Uh, Heart surgery. First successful. Dr. Daniel Hale Williams in 1983. No, just not true. Another lie. Dr. Williams repaired a wound, not in the heart muscle for itself, but in the sac surrounding it the pericardium the operation was not the first of its type uh henry dalton of st louis performed a nearly identical operation two years earlier with a patient fully recovering decades before that the spaniard francisco romero carried out the first successful pericardial surgery of any type and sizing the pericardium to drain fluid compressing the heart Surgery on the actual human heart muscle, and not just the pericardium, was first successfully accomplished by Ludwig Wren of Germany when he prepared, when he repaired the wounded right ventricle in nineteen. I'm sorry, eighteen ninety six. Uh, more than fifty years later, came surgery on the open heart, pioneered by John Lewis C. Walton. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his full last name, Lelahai, often called the father of open-heart surgery, and John Gibbon, who invented the heart-lung machine. So no, that's that's just not true. Uh, the, the, the The first successful heart surgery was not by a black surgeon. It just wasn't. It was not. You know, if you want to, if you want to make yourself feel good about yourself, don't lie about your accomplishments because when they're exposed, it just makes you look foolish. It makes you look ridiculous. It, it, it leaves you open to being mocked. And you don't want to be mocked. All right, third rail. Granville Woods in 1901. No! Warner Von Siemens pioneered the use of the of an electric third rail as a means of powering rail, railway vehicles when he demonstrated an experimental electric train at the 1879 Berlin Industrial Exhibition. And the U.S. English-born Leo uh, Daft 
used a third rail system to electrify the Baltimore and, and Hampton lines in 1885. The first electrically powered subway trains, which debuted uh, in London in the autumn of 1890, otherwise drew power from a third rail. Well, I'm sorry, likewise drew power from a third rail. So 1901, no. No, not, not, not even close. Uh, Granville Woods did not invent that. Okay, this is one that I did not hear about. Railway Telegraph, Granville Woods, another Granville Woods. Granville Woods prevented, I'm sorry, prevented railway accidents and saved countless lives by inventing the train telegraph, patented in 1887, which allowed communication and, and to and from moving trains. No, that did not happen. The earliest patents for train telegraphs go back to at least 1873. Lucius Phelps was the first inventor in the field of attra uh, attract widespread notice and telegrams he exchanged on the New York, New Haven, and Hartford Railway Railroad in January of 1885 were hailed in the February 21 1885 issue of Scientific American as perhaps the first ever sent to and from a moving train. Phelps remained at the forefront in developing the technology and by the end of 1887 already held 14 U.S. patents on his system. He joined a team led by Thomas Edison who had been working on his grasshopper telegraph for trains and together they constructed on the Lee, Lee Valley Railroad, one of the only inductive induction telegraph systems ever put to commercial use. Although this telegraph was a technical success, it fulfilled no public need, and the market for onboard train tele, tele, telegraphy never took off. There's no evidence that any commercial railway uh, telegraph based on Granville Woods patents ever was ever built. And of course it shows the link and it gives the, the proof of all this. It does just doesn't expect you to take their word for it. All right. Let's see. Refrigerated truck. This is one I've heard recently. I've heard this recently. And actually I heard this from again, Don Folden, the truth conductor. I think he's more the BS conductor, but he calls himself the truth conductor out of DC Refrigerated truck, and I've seen this and I've heard this. Frederick Jones with Joseph Nimero in 18, I'm sorry, 1938. No, that's not true. Did Jones change America's eating habits by making possible the long distance shipment of perishable foods? No. Refrigerated ships and rail cars had been moving perishables across oceans and continents even before Jones was born. Wow. Wow. See refrigerated transport timeline. Trucks with me mechanically refrigerated cargo spaces appeared on the roads at least as early as the late 1920s. See the proof, and it shows the link. Further development of truck refrigeration was more of a process of gradual evolution than radical change. So this idea that he created the refrigerated truck is just not true. It's just not true. Why make things up? I agree, that would be one hell of an, an improvement. But it's just not true. If it's not true, and don't try to take, don't try to take 
credit for other people's accomplishments. It's going to come to light eventually, and you're going to look like a fool. And how can you feel prideful in something that you know you didn't do, that you, that you know wasn't yours? Okay, air brake. I didn't hear about this. Air brake slash automatic air brake. Granville Woods again in 1904. No. In 19, I'm sorry, in 1869, a 22-year-old Georgia uh, Westinghouse received George, I'm sorry. In 1869, a 22-year-old George Westinghouse received a U.S. patent, gives the patent number, for a, for a brake device operated by compressed air in the same year organized the Washington, the Westinghouse Air Brake Company. Many of the 361 patents he accumulated during his career were the, for the air brake variations and improvements, including the first automatic version in 1872. And again, it gives the U.S. patent number again. All this is going to be included in the, in the link. Okay, and this is a big one I hear all the time. I didn't hear about that last one. Air conditioner. Air conditioner. You know, because it gets hot as hell outside, especially in, you know, the southwestern states. Gets In the in deep south, it gets extremely hot. And, uh, of course, you know, different places around the world, it gets hot and they need air conditioning. Um, so, let's see. Frederick Jones in 1949. No, not true. Dr. Willis Carrier built the first machine to control both the temperature and humidity of an indoor air. He received the first of many patents in 1906, a U.S. patent gives a number, for the apparatus for treating air. In 1911, he published the formula that became the scientific basis for air conditioning design and four years later formed the career, the carrier engineering corporation of the to develop and manufacture ac systems so no frederick jones did not invent the air conditioner in 1949 long before that someone else did and even put it into even put it into uh commercial use so airship jf pickering in 1900 no French engineer Henry Giffard, probably pronouncing that wrong, it's uh, French, I think, successfully flew a powered uh, navig na navigable airship in 1852. The, yeah, the La France airship built by Charles Renard uh, and Arthur Krebs in 1884 featured an electric motor and improved steering capabilities. In 1900, Count Ferdinand von Zeppelin's first rigid framed dirigible looked, uh, took to the air. Of the hundreds of inventors granted patents for early airship designs and modifications, few succeeded in building a flying, uh, to, or flying their craft. There doesn't appear to be any record of Pickering airship ever getting off the ground. So, if you don't get it to fly, it doesn't really matter. And it gives the the uh, it gives the link to prove that. Automatic rail car car coupler. Andrew Beard invented the Jenny coupler in 
1897. No. The Jenny Coupler is named for U.S. Civil War veteran Eli H. Jenny, who in 19, who in, I'm sorry, 1873 invented the device. U.S. patent gives the number, which automatically linked together two rail cars, railroad cars, upon their beginning being brought into contact, also known as the knuckle coupler. Jenny's invention superseded the, the dangerous link and pin coupler and became the basis for standard coupler design through the remainder of the millennium. Andrew Beard's modified knuckle coupler was just one of the approximately 8,000 coupler variations patented by 1900. And it gives the link. All right. Automatic transmission and gear shift. This is one I had not heard. I had not heard that somebody claimed that a black inventor came up with this. Interesting. Okay, let's see. Richard Spikes in 1932. No. The first automatic transmission uh, transmission automobile to enter the market was designed by the Studervant Brothers of Massachusetts in 1904. U.S. patent gives the number. Was the first of several patents on their gear shift mechanism. Automatic transmission technology continued to develop, spawning hundreds of patents and numerous experimental units. But because of cost, reliability issues, and an initial lack of demand, several decades passed before vehicles and automatic transmission became common on the roads. So 1932, no, absolutely not. Almost 30 years before that, 28 years before that. All right, bicycle frame. <laughs> Some of these are so ridiculous. Isaac R. Johnson in 1899, no. Comte Mede de Savrac and Carl von Subron built primitive versions of the bicycle in 1791 and 18, 1816, respectively. The frame of John Starley's 1885 safety bicycle resembled that of a modern bicycle. So not, not Isaac R. Johnson. Here's an, okay, so I've never heard of that one. Here's, an, here's another one. Cellular phone. Now, I've heard the cellular phone for a, a million years, and I, I debunked that myself a long time ago. It, the same guy that, that invented the cellular phone is also the same guy. I believe I'm not going to, I'm going to say this before I read this, so I could be wrong, but it's the same guy that worked for AT&T or, or Bell Telephone. He invented the, uh, the, the cordless phone and then the cell phone. But let's see what they say. Okay, cellular phone. Henry T. Sampson in 1971. No, absolutely not. On July 6, 1971, Sampson and co-inventor George Miley received a patent on a gamma electric cell that converted a gamma ray input into electrical output. Among the first to do that was Bernard Gross, U.S. patent in 1964. What you ask, does gamma radiation have to do with the cellular communications technology? The answer, nothing. Some multiculturalist pseudo-historian must have seen the words electric and cell and thought cell phone. The father of, this, of, this, of the cell phone is Martin Cooper, who first demonstrated technology in 1973. Right. Yep, that's the guy that also created the cordless phone. Okay, uh, let's see here. 
clock or watch <laughs> now this is this is the this is one of the most ridiculous ones clocks have existed in, in places like germany and and uh, and uh, all around the world for a long time now but a lot of a lot of people claim that a black inventor invented the first wristwatch so ridiculous 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 but okay let's see clock or watch first in america <laughs> Another Benjamin Banneker built the uh, claim. Benjamin Banneker built the first American timepiece in 1753. No, absolutely not. Bullshit. Abel Cotty, a Quaker clockmaker from Philadelphia, built a clock that uh, is dated 1709. Source quarter, uh, six quarter clockmakers by Edward C. Chanley, Philadelphia. The Historical Society of Pennsylvania, 1943. Benneker, uh, biographer Silvio Bedini, further refutes the myth. So his own biographer says it's not true. His own biographer says this is a bullshit claim. Okay. Several watch and clockmakers were already established in the in the colony, Maryland, prior to the time of that Banneker made the clock. In Annapolis alone, there were at least four such craftsmen prior to 1750. Among these may be mentioned John Batterson, a watchmaker who moved to Annapolis in 1723. James Newberry, a watch and clockmaker who advertised in the Maryland Gazette on July 20th, 1748. John Powell, a uh, watch and clockmaker believed to have have been indentured and to have have been working in 1745 and Powell's master William Roberts Salvio Badini the life of Benjamin Banneker Baltimore Maryland Historical Society 1999 so his own biographer his own historical biographer says that that's a, a myth it's bullshit Okay. Clothes dryer. George T. Sampson, 19, I'm sorry, 1892, supposedly invented the clothes dryer. No. I, 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 it's going to be difficult to find one that's more ridiculous than the clockmaker. Okay, so George T. Sampson, or the cell phone. George T. Sampson, 19, I'm sorry, 1892. No, the clothes dryer described in Sampson's patent was actually a rack of, uh, for full, <laughs> For holding clothes near a stove. <laughs> the clothes dryer described in Samson's patent was actually a rack for holding clothes near a stove was intended as an improvement on similar contraptions. <laughs> okay. So the clothes dryer was simply you put it on a rack and, and put it close to something hot. I mean, you could put it close to next, next to a, you know, uh, fire, I guess. <laughs> okay. My invention relates to the improvements in clothes dryers. The object of my invention is to suspend clothing in close relation to a stove by means of frames so constructed that they can be readily replaced. I'm sorry, readily replaced on a proper position, put aside when not required for use. That gives the patent number 1892. Uh, 19 years earlier, there were already over 300 U.S. patents for such clothes dryers. Subject matter index 
of patents, 1792 to 1873. The Frenchman named Pochon, in, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, in 1799, built the first known tumble dryer, a crank-driven rotating metal drum pierced with ventilation holes and held over heat. Electric tumbles, tumble dryers appeared in the first half of the 20th century. So, no. George T. Sampson did not invent that either. <laughs> oh, man, that was a good one. I needed that. All right. The dustpan. Wow. We're, we're reaching now. Lord P. Ray in 1897 supposedly invented the dustpan. No! <laughs> While the ultimate origin of the dustpan is lost to the mist, uh, to mist dust of time, the least, we, the least we know that U.S. patent, uh, and it gives the patent number for dustpan, was granted to T.E. McNeil in 1858. That was the first of about 164 U.S. dustpan patents predating Lloyd's Ray's. Okay, so he supposedly invented it in 1897, and the first one was actually in 1858. So, and there were many in between. So, obviously, that's that's just not true. Dust patent list. It gives the link. The egg beater. <laughs> Dust patent. Okay, the egg beater. Willie, that's a good name, Willie Johnson in 1884. No. The hand-cranked egg beater with two uh, intermeshed counter-rotating whisks was invented by Turner Williams of Providence, Rhode Island, in 1870. U.S. patent gives the number. It was an improvement on earlier rotary egg beaters that had only one whisk. So no, not even close. Not even close. 14 years before. And they have the U.S. patent number to prove it. Oh, electric trolley. This is one I had never heard. Well, at least I don't remember hearing it. I didn't hear about the egg beater either. Well, the, the list of BS in this one is, is unbelievable. Electric trolley. Grand did uh, Granville Woods invent the electric trolley car. The overhead wire that powers it or the trawler wheel that makes contact with the trolley wire in 1888. No! Dr. Werner von Siemens demonstrated his electric trolley bus, an electromote near Berlin in April 29th, 1882. That's well, six years before. The vehicle's two electric motors collected power through contact wheels rolling atop a pair of overhead wires. The earliest patentee of an electric trolley in the United States appears to be Eugene Krause, um, gives the, the patent number, in 1881, followed by Dr. R, I'm sorry, Dr. Joseph R. Finney, 1882 gives the pet number who operated an experimental trolley car near Pittsburgh, PA in the summer of 1882. In nearly 1885, John C. Henry established in Kansas City, Missouri, the first overhead wire electric transit system to enter regular service in the United States. Belgian born Charles von 
Dipoli, who earned 240-plus patents in electric railway technology and other fields, set up trolley lines in several North American cities by 1887. February 1888, a trolley system designed by Frank Sprague began operating in Richmond, Virginia. Sprague's system became the lasting prototype for electric streetcar railways in the U.S. So no, 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 no. <laughs> you can't invent it in 1888 when all these other inventions and the one we use today uh, is is still still there. What are you talking about? Okay, the elevator. I, I did not hear this one. I did not hear that black people invented the elevator. This is going to be good. All right. <laughs> Alexander Miles in 1887. No. Was Miles the first to patent a self-closing uh, shaft door? No. Steam-powered uh, hoisting devices were used in England by 1800. Alicia Graves Otis, 1853. If you see a lot of the elevators, they'll say Otis on them. I'm sure that's because of this woman. Um, safely, uh, safety elevator prevented the car from falling if the cable broke and thus paved the way for the first commercial passenger elevator installed in New York City's Hewitt Department Store in 1857. The first electric elevator appeared in uh, Mannheim, Germany in 1880 built by the German firm of Siemens and Halsk. A self-closing shaft door was invented by J.W. Meeker in 1874. Improvement and self-closing hatchways. U.S. patent. And it gives the patent number. And it says C. Elevator timeline gives the link. So, yeah. I've never heard that one before that black people invented the elevator. Or, or the elevator door or anything like that. But no, it's just obviously not true. Uh, Otis, if you look again, if you go to any elevator in in any big city, and you look, it's usually ran by Otis, which obviously is they're the descendants that the company of of the originator. Okay, fastest computer computation was Phil was Philip Emgawali, what a last name, Emgawali. Responsible for the world's fastest computer computation in 18, I'm sorry, 1989. Did he win the Nobel Prize for computing? Is he a father of the internet? No. The faster, fastest performance of a computer application in eight, and I'm sorry, 1989. So used to say 18, but from all the things I've said. In 1989 was the six billion floating point operations per second, six G flops. Achieved by a team from Mobile and Thinking Machines Corp. on a 64,000 processor connection machine invented by Danny Hills that was almost double the 3.1 G-flops of Emigawali's computation. Computing Nobel Prize uh, equivalent is the Turing Award, which in Valgali was never won. Has never won. Okay. So no, this is not true. Just not true. Fire Escape. I, now, I hadn't heard about There's a couple of these I haven't heard of. Fire Escape I heard of. I've heard this claim. So Joseph Winters in 19... I'm sorry, 18... We're we, we going back between 19 and 18. Joseph Winters in 1878 invented the Fire Escape. No, he did not. Winters 
the fire escape was a wagon-mounted ladder. The first such contraption patented in the U.S. was the work of William P. Whitney in 1840. U.S. patent is 1599. The first escape, the first escape, fire escape, with a lazy tongs type ladder, more similar to Winter's patent, was pioneered by Hutman and Cornello. I'm probably not saying that right. In 1849, U.S. patent 6155. I don't say the patent's worth it. It's like a thousand numbers because there's no point. One of the first uh, fire escapes of any type was invented in, in 18th century England. In 1784, Daniel Mazarez of England invented a machine called a fire escape, which being uh, fastened to the window would enable anyone to descend to the street without injury. Benjamin Butterworth, Growth of Industry, Industrial Art, 1888. By 1888, the U.S. had granted 1,099 patents for the firescape of many forms and of every possible material. Butterworth. Okay, so no, Joseph Winters did not invent the firescape or even improve upon it. Fire extinguisher. Now, fire extinguisher is also one I've heard for many, many years. The fire extinguisher was invented by a black man. Is that true? Let's find out. I'm going to give you a you know, spoiler alert. No, it wasn't. Okay, Thomas J. Martin. Eight, in 1872. No. In 1813, British Army Captain George... Manby created the first known uh, portable fire extinguisher, a two-foot-tall copper cylinder that held a uh, three-gallon of water and used compressed air as a propellant. One of the earliest extinguishers to use a chemical extinguishing agent and not just water was invented in 1849 by the Englishman William Henry Phillips, who patented his his fire uh, annihilator in England and the United States, U.S. patent, and it gives the patent number. It's 7,269. So, no. First fire extinguisher, not by Thomas Martin in 1872. Food additives, meat curing. Lloyd Hall is responsible for the meat curing products, seasonings, emulsions, bakery products, and antioxidants, protein, uh, hydro hydrosates, can't say that word very well, and many other products that keep our food fresh and flavorable. No. Hall revolutionized the meatpacking industry. No. Hall introduced no major class uh, of additive, certainly not meal-curring assaults, curring salts, which are ancient. Protein hydrosates, um, Emulsifiers and antioxidants, lectithin, for example, was used in both roles before Lloyd Hall had any patents in food processing. The so-called revolutionary meat-curing product marketed by Hall's employer was invented primarily by Karl Marx Seifert. The number of Seifert's patent was printed right on the containers, Hall's main contribution to this product was to reduce its tendency to cake during storage. That's it. 
And there's a link that says details Lloyd Holmith. So let's take a little break for a second. I, I mean, I, this is the, the, the list is literally endless. I don't know if I can complete this in one day. The least list is endless. These these inventions did not were not brought about by black people. They just weren't. Uh, if you truly want to celebrate Black History Month, find some real accomplishments, and hold on to those accomplishments and be proud of those accomplishments, whether they're many or whether they're few, whether they're significant or insignificant. But don't don't try to take other people's accomplishments and make them your own. It's kind of like those guys that uh, the black Hebrew Israelites that claim that they're the real Jews or, you know, the, the the guys that go around and claim that they're the original Egyptians that built the pyramids. And I mean, you know, this is just, or, or I've even heard black people say that they were the original Native American Indians. Or uh, I, I had one black guy tell me that the original uh, ninjas in Japan were were all black. I mean, you know, it's beyond preposterous. Okay, let's continue for a little bit. Um, all right, the fountain pen. I had not heard about this one. The fountain pen. W.B. Puris in 1890. No. W.B. Purvis, I'm sorry, Purvis in 1890. The first reference to what seems to be the fountain pen appears in an Arabic text from 969 A.D. Details of the instrument are not known. A French beyond pen dated 1702 represents the oldest fountain pen that still survives. Later models included John Sheffer's uh, 1819 pen, possibly the first to be mass-produced. John Jacob Parker's self-fulfilling self-filling pen, of 1832 and the famous Lewis Waterman pen of 1884 US patents that gives the long patent numbers early history of the fountain pen there's a link so 1890 no not even close not even close forget about the 19 the 969 AD the Arabic <laughs> let's just go to the 1702 or the 1819 Supposedly he came up with it in 1890, but the most famous one is 1884. So that's, you know, six years before that. All right, golf tee. I did not hear about this one. Dr. George Grant in 1899. No, he did not invent the golf tee. A small rubber platform invented by Scotsman William Bloxham. And Arthur Douglas was the first world's first patented golf tee, British patent uh, 12941 of 1889. The first known tee to uh, penetrate the ground in contrast to earlier less than le tees that set on the surface. As the peg-like uh, perfectum patent in, in 1892 by Percy Ellis of England, American dentist William Lowell introduced the most common form of the tea used today, the simple wooden peg with a flared top. So no, not even not even close. I mean if if you're gonna lie, if you're gonna make stuff up, at least make it at least, you know, do a little research so that you can so you can cover your tail end. 
Oh, this is one I'd never heard. The hairbrush. The hairbrush. Huh, interesting. <laughs> Let's look at the hairbrush. Lida Newman, or Lida Newman, I don't know, L-Y-D-A. Lida Newman? I don't know. In uh, 1898. No. An early U.S. patent for recognizing modern hairbrush went to Hugh Rock in 1854, so long before that. U.S. Patent design patent number D645. Though surely there were hairbrushes long before there was a patent, a patent office. The claim that Lydia Newman's brush was the first with synthetic bristles is false. Her patent mentions nothing about synthetic bristles and is concerned only with a new way of making the handle detachable from the head. Besides a hairbrush that, can, that included elastic wire teeth in combination with natural bristles, already been patented by Samuel uh, Frey, F-R-E-Y, in 1870. It gives the long patent number. Nylon bristles weren't possible until the invention of nylon in 1935, so it's not even possible. The halogen lamp, that is one I've heard of. I've heard of the halogen lamp, the halogen lamp claim. Let's see. Frederick Mosby. No, Frederick Mosby did not invent the halogen lamp. The original patent for the tungsten halogen lamp, U.S., and it's a long patent, on April 21st, 1959, is recorded to Elmer G. Frederick and working uh, and M M Emmett H. Wiley of General Electric. The two had built a working prototype as early as 1953. Fred Mosby was part of the GE team charged with developing the prototype lamp into a marketable product, but was not responsible for the original halogen lamp for the concept behind it, or the concept behind it. So another one for William Purvis, hand stamp. William Purvis in 19, I'm sorry, 1883. No. The earliest known postal uh, hand stamp was brought into use by Henry Bishop, Postmaster General of Great Britain, in the year 1661. The stamp printed the mail with a bisected circle containing the month and the date. And of course, it gives the links to all these. Heating furnace, Alice Parker in 1919. No! The Hypocost heating system built by the ancient Romans hot air uh, from a furnace circulated under the floor and up through channels inside the walls, thereby distributing heat evenly around the building. One of the most famous heating systems recent in recent centuries was the iron furnace stove known as the Franklin stove, named after its purported originated, originator Benjamin Franklin around 1745 A.D. The U.S. had issued over 4,000 patents for heating stoves and furnaces by 1888. Benjamin Butterworth, grown, uh, Growth of Industri Industrial Art, 1888. So, no, definitely not true. Definitely not true. Okay. Yeah, I knew, I knew about that one. I knew, I knew about uh, the Benjamin Franklin one. I didn't know about the other ones. 
Okay, the horseshoe, Oscar E. Brown in 1892. No, he did not invent the horseshoe. Some sources on the web, if not ignorant enough to say Brown invented the first horseshoe ever, will at least try to, to credit him for the first double or compound horseshoe made of two layers, one permanently secured to the hoof and one auxiliary layer that can be removed and replaced when it wears out. However, in the U.S., there, have, there were already 39 earlier patents for horseshoes using that same concept. The first of those was issued by J.B. Kendall of Boston in 1861, patent 33709. And, of course, it gives the, the link. Okay, I had not heard about that one. You've just listened to Black History Month special episode, Black Inventors, Black Inventions, Facts versus Myths, Myths Debunked, Part 1. Episode 2 will come out tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this podcast, we drop a podcast Monday through Friday after Sunday night, 12 uh, after uh, into Monday morning. After 12.01 Eastern Standard Time. And then the last one uh, drops Thursday night into Friday morning. After 12.01 Friday morning Eastern Standard Time. And they last anywhere from an hour to two hours to three hours or more. All depending on the topic where they're discussing. All depending on the guests that we're, we're interviewing. All depending on the co-hosts that are involved. Uh, many different factors. Many different factors. So if you enjoyed this, please subscribe to our podcast. We are on every podcast platform that exists, virtually every one, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and every other one you can possibly think of. Almost 60 platforms. We're heard in, over, in almost 60 countries around the world, and uh, we try to give you the best possible perspective, best possible conversation from a conservative atheist perspective, and we do we really do our best. So please subscribe. It's free to subscribe, and please leave comments, whether that's voice comments or whether that's um, you know whether that's written comments. Either one, we appreciate feedback. Again, this is the conservative atheist. I hope you enjoyed this podcast uh, and uh, part two of of Black History Month. Um, black inventors, black inventions, myths versus, I'm sorry, facts versus myths, myths debunked, will be coming out the following day. So this will be today, and then it will be coming out the following day. Okay, I appreciate everybody listening. If you're interested in supporting the show, we also have a Patreon. And the Patreon uh, link will be in every description of, a, of our podcast. And you know, you go there and it's five dollars a month, pennies a day, and you get extra you get extra bonus material, you get extra perks and merchandise, and uh it really helps support the show. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Take care. One last thing before I let you go. When you're laying flat on your back in the dark in your bed, 
staring up at the ceiling, trying to drift off into sleep. I want you to repeat this mantra over and over and over again. Conservative atheist is always right. Conservative atheist is always right. Conservative atheist is always right. Hey, conservative atheist is always right. And in the morning when you wake up, you're going to feel like a refreshed, renewed person. The sun is going to shine brighter. The air is going to feel crisper. The flowers are going to sw smell sweeter. And the birds are going to sing your name. And all will be right with the world. And if not, maybe you're buying into a bunch of myths about history. And you need to educate yourself so you don't look like a fool. And one way of doing that is to listen to more conservative atheist podcasts. All right, you knuckleheads, be prepared for part two tomorrow. I'll talk to you later.